Today on Never Was a Gamer, we're coming to you live from the E3 floor and we're gonna party like it's 1999. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is my floor show cameraman, Dimitri. Oh, cameraman? Yeah. Not not a booth babe? You're the... Sir, we auditioned you for the role of booth babe many times over the course of the last week or two. You are the most abysmal (laughs) babe of a booth I can even imagine. You not once replied with a flirty comment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'll be resigned to stay behind the camera <laughs> right for long. You were better off bidding for the role of the hunk in Spelunky. <laughs> you were closer to that one. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for joining us today. We're talking E3 1999. Great year. Because actual E3 2021 occurred, no, a, almost a month ago. At this point, I think any hot takes are pretty cold. Uh, this wasn't a year for a lot of big takes anyway. There were some good surprises. Any any standouts for you? Uh, there were some indies I'm pretty excited about. Um, Somerville, I'm very stoked about. Um, one called Inscription, which is like a dark card game I was super stoked about. Uh, I'm intrigued by Metroid Dread. Yeah, you got um, a new Metroid. Yeah, I mean, so the thing is, I've still only played the one Metroid, which means I don't yet know if I just like that game or if <laughs> I like this series. Like, to be fair, yeah. that's like a thing that happens, right? So I'm like... I like the looks of that. I like the vibe is okay. Is, is okay. We'll see. We'll see. I'm. I'm. You. You got my attention. Yeah, and that's about it for E3 2021. That's why we're doing 1999. <laughs> Much more to talk about. So you might be thinking, why are you doing E3 1999? It's because we put a bunch of years into a randomizer, and that's the one that came up. A computer picked it. <laughs> we did want to do an old E3. We just couldn't decide on which one. But one from, you know, from Michelle's kind of her gap years, just so she could get a sense of what E3 used to be like, because I think you've you've become quite fond of it. That's, you know, a highlight yeah. of your year, at least in terms of gaming events. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's sort of a sort of a thing that we enjoy watching and observing and speculating about together. But really, in the time that I've been watching, I understand it's quite different from this like late 90s, early 2000s period, because like I'm very used to kind of everybody like influencers, press, even members of the public, a lot of the time that I have been following E3 have been able to also attend. So it's a different kind of thing, I think, in in this Well, era. I mean, press is attending, but you don't have the live streaming of press conferences, right. of course, right? Uh, you're just, you know, I mean, the internet is, is running at this time. So you're waiting for your updates, you know, your online updates. But mostly, I think for most people, and, and for me, for sure, we're just kind of waiting for the E3 issue of whatever magazines we read. Right. I think that's what I mean is like it, it, um, I, I've been an E3 fan in the era where you don't need the most moderation between Mm -hmm. like more of it is, is directly aimed at the, the end consumer. Whereas like in this phase, you need to wait for your people to come back and tell you about what was there. Yeah. And there's a lot more delayed gratification. You'd get, you'd have kind of a buildup of people trying to guess what was going to be at E3. And then, you know, you'd have to wait a month and then you find out what was at E3. Right. Right. True. Because it's not even like blogs. We're talking print. Yeah. 
It, yeah, for the most part. I mean, at, at this point, you did have some things appearing on blogs here mm-hmm. and there, so you could have more of a, a direct access. But yeah, a lot of times you're just kind of waiting for, you know, Dave Halverson to tell you what went down. In July. <laughs> <laughs> so because, you know, you weren't around for E3 1999, I mean, you were alive, but you weren't you weren't following games. I was E3. on Earth. You weren't following games uh, for E399, so we wanted to give you the E3 experience. We wanted to send you to the show floor and have you report back about what you saw at E3 1999. And E3 is a good one to go to because after a two-year residency in Atlanta, E3 is back in LA, baby. Home sweet home. Yeah, apparently these Atlanta events were, I mean, you know, games were good and good, you know, good games were shown, but they were poorly received as events. There are not a not as many publishers or developers showing up. Mm. Uh, harder to access for a lot of the press, which is, you know, based in LA. Right. So now E3 is back, bigger and louder than ever. Not really, quieter than ever, because booths had to keep their sound output to under 80 decibels or their power is going to be shut off. New rules. <laughs> like ESA rules? Yeah, LA Convention Center rules. Okay. Don't want to bust the old man's eardrums. Okay. Mario's getting old. I was like, who's the old man? And then he's, oh, Mario. I guess, yeah. <laughs> Miyamoto's getting old. Miyamoto, would he have been there? We don't know. I think he was at this one. He okay. shows up at most E3s. Okay, cool. Often has a sword. <laughs> you know, my brother has this theory that, you know, Miyamoto's not like Nintendo's Walt Disney. Miyamoto's like Nintendo's Mickey Mouse. Because <laughs> they often trot him out as a mascot and he's like wearing goofy things. And we're all happy to see him. Yeah. Everyone, everyone was like, oh, it's Miyamoto, guys. Everybody shut up. Mm-hmm. Miyamoto's here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, big change at E3 this year. Sound slightly quieter than normal. I bet that was a relief because there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And this was a good E3. Um, one thing that was kind of consistent, you know, if you if you read the magazines and you read the reviews of E3, you know, there weren't a lot of surprises, but there were a ton of good games this year. You had Perfect Dark. You had Super Smash Bros. You had Deus Ex. You had System Shock 2. You had Diablo 2. The Sims. Ape Escape. Crash Team Racing. Gran Turismo 2. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Final Fantasy VIII. Soul Calibur, Shenmue, none of which you played. Correct. <laughs> this was my chance to play Shenmue and we passed on it. Some of these games I don't think would really be well represented in a 20 to 30 minute demo period. You know, it, it's funny you say that because I think you're you're definitely right that, you know, when you think about E3 show floor, walking up to a kiosk and playing whatever demo they have with, you know, the either the representatives from the company or in this case, you know, booth babes looking over your shoulder, you know, it, that doesn't lend itself to every kind of game. Right. And and actually, Next Gen magazine described the Shenmue demo as one of the lowlights of E3. They said it was soul numbing and thinks it was mostly due to segments that were chosen due to ease of translation and, mm. to, you know, segments that would fit within, you know, the demo confines rather than letting you, you know, live in that game, which is what that game's really about. Right. So I think I think you're right that, you know, games that otherwise might be really great games won't always necessarily have a good E3 showing in terms of, you know, the the on the floor demo. At this point, would they have been doing the thing they're doing now where um, people who are are press can book like extended, like private demo time? There were Yeah, there are like behind closed door showings of, of a lot of games. 
And then, and then, yeah, the big open floor where you, you know, you walk up to a controller. So in this, in this fantasy, I'm not a big enough fish (laughs) in the sea to get access to the closed door demos. I'm just wandering around with my cameraman, seeing what I can see. Yeah, we sent you to the show floor. We said, take a look around, walk up to the games that look interesting to you, but you're probably going to have a, you know, 15 to 30 minute demo at most before you get the boot. Right. Okay. So ready to walk us through your, your experience on the show floor? Yes. So I guess the first thing, you know, what's the vibe of the of the show this year, 1999? Take, walk us through the sights and sounds of E3, the, the 80 decibel sounds. <laughs> Listen, 80 decibels is before you add on the, the roaring crowds of, of journalists of all different shapes and sizes getting through this space. Um, I think if I had to describe it to someone who had never seen an E3 before, I would say this picture. Titans battling it out wall to wall, every floor space fighting for your attention, your eyeballs on their games, floor to very high ceilings, Hmm. all adorned with the icons, the mascots, the legends of gaming. Also, we should pause and say here, we watched a little bit of video press coverage from this period, which is where I learned that there's also a very specific tone to how we talk (laughs) about E3s in this period. (laughs) I I don't know if it's changed much. It was well, very excited. Yeah, I think we just like don't hang out in those <laughs> in those communities at this point. But yeah, um, there's like it's very funny the the coverage of this that you can still find on YouTube now because some of it is like you know video shows that were like professionally made, and then there's like collections of like quasi fan footage that are just like zeroing in on Booth Babes' erect nipples. <laughs> like that was like actually <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's why you're laughing. There is some. Good bootleg footage online if you're interested in getting a a glimpse of of these show floors in a very kind of raw way. Um, (laughs) That's well put. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's actually shocking, though, how much, like, for example, of the first E3, 1994, there's a lot of on-the-floor footage that somebody just took with whatever camera they had lying around in 1994 and, like, shooting, you know, like, Chrono Trigger being shown on, like, the TV you'd have in your living room when you were 10. Well, and the thing is, like, it's not like it's not like subtly capturing no, something that, on your phone. It's super impressive what's been preserved. <laughs> yeah, but we got to get back cool. to 1999. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but, so, so the so, Titans wall the floor titan. to ceiling. You got PlayStation hovering, Crash Bandicoot above you. Yeah, what tall as King Kong? Th- this is true. So, yeah, we saw this huge Crash Bandicoot like mascot, like Macy's Day Parade float yeah, like abomination. Yes. Imagine if you walked into the LA Convention Center and that's the first thing that you see. Like, let me say this. Right beside him is Parappa the Rappa and the Twisted Metal Clown. <laughs> and like, Crash Bandicoot is the most messed up looking thing <laughs> of the three of them. <laughs> so yeah, PlayStation has got like this overhead stuff and all that kind of floats above the the floor where they've got all these little booths or like kiosks with with basically consoles um around the outside of them so you stand like around a little a little circular thing and play they've got a ton of games there sega get this sega has got a sonic that is crashing through the wall of e3 that is how extreme he is he's busting the wall right open bricks flying everywhere sonic coming through this I, is the wonder. I think DK was doing the same thing. No, D, I think DK was like in a mine cart. He's not crashing through the wall? 
well, he might be in the minecart. It, it was a little bit hard to tell from the footage I can see, but he's definitely like in a thing, but still surrounded. Yeah, there's Nintendo has an enormous DK. Like, did you see the Mario fountain? I did not see the Mario fountain. There's a lovely Mario fountain outside of Nintendo's booth. Oh, did you see the talk to me Crash Bandicoot screens? Okay, <laughs> my God, you know that I'm now a connoisseur of the Bandicoot, so I would have gone straight to this in this <laughs> fantasy. They, I don't even know how to explain this if you haven't seen it. It's like a, it's like a full length mirror sized screen that has an animation of Crash Bandicoot on it. But there's like a guy there who's hidden, who's like talking to you in real time as Crash Bandicoot and Crash like animates to the guys talking kind of. And so you can go ask Crash questions like, why? What if you had one question to ask Crash Bandicoot, what would it be? How did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, Dr. Neocortex had me in a lab. In and- a lore. You must not have played any of my games. <laughs> you could try the new one over there. Thank you, Crash. Yeah, I think he swapped out with Spyro too. So sometimes you could talk to Spyro. Spyro is an endearing little guy. I think it's because all his animations are clearly modeled after puppies. He does have attitude though. You I might mean, not want to talk to him. He has less attitude than Crash. Yeah, he does like... Have, he does have attitude. <laughs> like, um, okay, what else did you see on the show floor, listen, just in terms of the, the atmosphere? E3 has everything. They have Pod Racers, Darth Maul, Sebulba, Jake Lloyd, the franchise's unluckiest child, a real Lara Croft, live wrestling, humans enslaved by apes, and kept in cages. David Bowie, may he rest in peace, Starman. Big fat guys... Weird skinny guys, booth babes, baby <laughs> booths, CRT TVs, water demos, Wild Bill Seeley, Gabe Newell, and upwards of several sports games. Were the big fat guys attendees or like? It was hard to tell. <laughs> They're just around. Okay. You asked me what I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I, I read one report that uh, somebody was in line and he heard these like Fox execs behind him saying, did you did you see the Hanson brothers? <laughs> so I think Hanson was there somewhere. <laughs> Um, did you get to watch that? You mentioned there's a wrestling match. Did you watch it? No. Diamond Dallas Page versus Sting at the EA booth. No, dude, I didn't watch it. Wait, you missed Sting? Sting. You don't know Sting the wrestler? Okay, there's a Sting the wrestler. Yeah. Okay. Wow. You know that there's another Sting. Yeah. Okay. I'm not so stupid for not... It like, makes way more sense that this wrestler's name is Sting than it does that that British guy who plays a loot's name well, is Sting. That's why I thought it was weird. So I did notice that it was Diamond Dallas Page only because I like his yoga videos. He, but he came out. He called the oh crowd a, a bunch of computer geeks and Nintendo nerds. And then Sting came down from the rafter. Because he was and, there from the EA booth. And challenged him to a match. DDP refused. So then Sting challenged him to How a match. How are we possibly talking about Sting wrestling Sting challenged right now? him to a match in the game, but then Sting started to win. So DDP flipped out and attacked Sting, and then they had a real match in the ring. Wait, so they had a, did they have the console set up in the ring, or did this start elsewhere? Yeah. I'm getting to the best part. Okay. Sting's, Sting's winning. And then who comes out of the crowd with a steel chair? Bret Hart. Bret the Hitman what? Hart. Oh my God, I thought I was... I my that, hero that was not a genuine the legend himself comes to the ring nails sting with the chair the end Bret Hart was there and you missed him I 
I'm genuinely so shocked that that happened. Um, yeah, I mean, again, as I think has been my position, I don't care about wrestling, <laughs> so I didn't watch it. Um, but it was there. It happened. They had a whole ring and like people, so they had enough space for that. So you're so you're like, walking the through the spectacle cr- of yeah. this is a lot. You're walking through. You're overstimulated. Yes. So what then does a game have to do to grab your attention? You know, you've got so many things calling out for you. Well. I'll tell you one thing it could do. It could be called Jurassic Park Warpath. Okay, are we getting are we getting right into it? Okay. <laughs> well, so okay, so part of it, I mean, this is partially a joking, partially a serious one. Like sometimes something calls to you for a reason that is not always necessarily the best or most defensible reason. Sometimes you just are drawn to something. Like it can be art style, it can be like honestly, I feel like because I hate waking, waiting in lines and I feel bad for people who tried hard and are failing. I feel like I would end up wasting my whole E3 going to every booth where there's like nobody, like where finding all the games that nobody's playing and just going up to them and like asking them, making conversation questions about the game just so they have somebody playing it. Because the fact that you walk past some and there's like no one playing games and then there's like tons of people at other ones genuinely bums me out yeah and so is that why you went up to jurassic park warpath what was it about so we'll start with this one what was it about jurassic park warpath for the playstation that appealed to you well it's a dinosaur based game uh (laughs) and i do feel that that is good um yeah what is this game okay so this is a fighting game with dinosaurs and if you're thinking that sounds stupid. I must be misunderstanding. You're not. It, you play as, like, for example, a T-Rex or a Stegosaurus or a Triceratops. Um, and you fight another one of those. Um, so it's, it's you know, each dinosaur has, I would say, slightly different attacks based on their physiology. Um, it is uh, weirdly samey considering how different you could go with different dinosaurs. <laughs> They sort of chose like three different versions of the same raptor in like slightly different or slightly larger or smaller sizes. Um, it's it's a little clunky. Yeah, I mean you're dinosaurs. You're, they're not the most nimble beasts. But you don't know. I'd imagine they're not the most nimble beasts. Well, I mean the big ones that they would choose for a one-on-one fighting game would be probably mostly kind of big and. You're little. not Brett the Hitman Hard out here. You're not like a swarm of little raptors, right? But yeah, um, so they they feel pretty big and powerful. A fun thing that happens in this game is that um, occasionally a, a human will like be running through the enclosure looking panicked. And if you can manage to eat them, they'll restore some health. Yeah, that that is a cool feature. I could never do it. Yeah, I did not succeed at doing it once. So I only know that theoretically it's possible. Yeah, like there's destructible environments that are kind of cool. Yeah. you There are locations that you recognize from the movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, okay, so it's not the most responsive fighting game you've ever played, and it's not the most elegant system we've ever played, and it's not the most exciting title on the show floor, but it sure is a game where you make dinosaurs fight, and that's something. Yeah, but but here's the question I have for you. So if you imagine yourself as, as if you're actually on the show floor, you know, and you're playing this game and you've kind of had enough of it, like how? Do, what do you do in that situation? Um, so I think I would like lose two quick matches and then be like, "Oh, 
This is clearly not my not my type of game. I'm so bad at these. This was great. You guys have a great E3 and then make my exit as if like, oh, I'm the problem. That that would be my move mm. for sure. Okay. Yeah. Smooth. Because probably if you're like, you're probably not that often bored and ready to move on and also succeeding and having like an interesting, great time. So yeah, I would I would play up my own ineptitude to escape as I have many times in real life <laughs> in different contexts. Okay, let's stay within the realm of PlayStation games. So you move on from Jurassic Park Warpath. What do you see next? Okay, so I'm uh, I'm walking through, and the next thing that catches my eye, I'm in the mood for something different, right? And I walk past this booth with the cutest, sweetest, most familiarest art that I've seen yet on the show floor, and that is for Chocobo Racing. Mm, yeah, I knew you'd, you'd give into this. You know... I'm a Final Fantasy lover. I love a Chocobo. Final Fantasy 15, they should have given me a, a DLC or add-on game where I was just a Chocobo rancher. Like, if I could just do that, I 100% would. Um, so this has really, really, really sweet cartoony art. Um, it has, it's a cart racer. Uh, it has this sort of playful dynamic where... So you're a Chocobo in a cart? Well, Or you're no. a Chocobo running? You are... Neither. You're a chocobo who gets these like jet rollerblades. Mm. Um, so other creatures from Final Fantasy or or other similar animation things uh, are in carts or vehicles of various kinds. Um, and uh, chocobo's best friend Mog is there, and Mog is there's this dynamic through it where Mog wants to take over and have the game named after him, uh, which is a perfectly good silly premise for a small car. So there's racer. like a story mode. Sort of. Yeah, there's there's like a there's a campaign that you can do. And then, of course, you can do like tournaments and all that stuff. Is this it's the structure that will be very familiar to you from from cart games. It it handles it handles pretty OK. It's really just like a sweet, bubbly little confection of a game, which will honestly give you a perfectly good time if what you are really after is like a Final Fantasy flavored treat that you can play with your friends and family who don't normally play games and don't really want to learn much about Is there them. any reason I would pick this up instead of Mario Kart or Crash Team Racing? Crash Team Racing, sure. <laughs> well, so, um, I, I mean, there's like, there is some good Final Fantasy theming. I mean, one thing that I liked is um, in, in the mode of sort of like what in Mario Kart would be one of those question blocks. You can hit these different crystals that contain in them like Final Fantasy spells that you would recognize and you know what they are before you hit them and pick them up. So you can cast thunder like you have you have recognizable dynamics from Final Fantasy Magecraft. Can I get Hastega? Hastega. Not Hastega. I don't know what you know, the the, the maximum haste. Most haste. That's what I Um, want in this game. Well, so you can get at least regular haste i saw that who knows in in later levels i don't know but you know so it's like it's okay you're you're you tried you tried you can i summon ifrit not so again not in the 20 minutes that i was in this is what you gotta ask the booth babes listen this booth babe was not being communicative with me about about what was up with this game so yeah this game is like um this game is like one of those like really powdery candy valentine's heart candies with little messages on them that's like i guess it's a it's a candy but it's almost like too sweet and it doesn't have enough to it okay that, that's what this is 
So far, you know, you, you've seen some some PlayStation offerings, but did you find anything meatier? Yes. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that was pun intended, but I played Dino Crisis. Oh, finally, one of the one of the big guns. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about this. Um, so this game uh, is really atmospheric, high tech. You have this like pulpy premise, which is like, you know, dinosaurs are attacking. It is Resident Evil, but with dinosaurs. So this is OK. This is what I this is what I want to talk about, because I literally what I saw was just Resident Evil with dinosaurs. I saw some light puzzle elements I had to figure out. I had to get an object. I had like my team who were like not helping me that much, but were like around um, and and the passages. And I had a couple of, of encounters with things and that I shot with my gun. problem with that is? No, no, no. I don't have a problem with that. But the, but the thing that it made me think about is that like, it's not a bad formula, but I would, if I would come out of this saying, Dino Crisis is Resident Evil with dinosaurs instead of zombies. Like, I can't say that it, like, refines or, like, advances. Like, I kind of wouldn't... It did have actual, like, it was completely 3D rendered, which is different from Resident Evil, oh, which has, true. you know, the pre-rendered backgrounds. Yeah. So that is something you could say in your <laughs> in your little preview. Yeah, true enough. I just, like, this is one where, um, this is one where, like, I, I would hope that... And I know there's a lot of commonality in like the teams and creators between this and Resident Evil. So it's not, it's not like that lineage makes sense. Um, but I wish I would have been able to say something more, more nuanced or specific about it or that it had its own ideas beyond just like, what if dinosaurs instead of zombies? So, I mean, this is like, I feel like I felt the, I felt the constraints of the, like, I think I played 30 or 40 minutes of this. Yeah. I think you I think we actually timed you for 30 minutes, assuming, you know, that would be probably the, the longer end of a demo if you played it on the show floor. And again, you know, these aren't vertical slices that are designed for E3, right? We just right. started you at the beginning and let you go through. So one would imagine that maybe, you know, for an E3 demo, you'd start at a more higher impact right. or higher action. Something more expressive that, yeah. Part where you're not just, you know, learning the characters and, and it's it's like like these games, you know, it's, it's a slow start because it's trying to build the tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, this is like a case where my knowledge, like I know people like the Dino Crisis games and I think they probably have other distinguishing factors from Resident Evil. It just, it was so hard to grasp at that mm-hmm. um, from from the short amount that I saw. Um, but also Resident Evil with dinosaurs is a really good thing to be. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Resident interest- Primeval, obviously. <laughs> do, you have any, do you have any interest in going back to Dino Crisis one day? Uh, Like maybe... I don't know. I just like uh, that. It's like not my favorite genre. I would probably be more likely to play like Dino Crisis than like one of the other early Resident Evils, to be honest. Best dinosaur game of E3, Dino Crisis or Jurassic Park Warpath? Well, Dino Crisis. You've heard it here. Yeah, obviously. Okay, let's let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll explore more of the show floor. Dino Crisis is maybe an exception. I think one thing you might have noticed this year as you walked around E3 is that there aren't a lot of violent games 
on display and not a lot of first person shooters being demoed. Mm -hmm. And the reason for this is because E3 1999 is coming just a few months after the Columbine mass shooting. Right. And there's a not totally unfounded fear that some mainstream media outlets would try some kind of gotcha journalism at E3. Got it. You know, games are in the press for all the wrong reasons at this point. You know, once they realize that the the murderers, the Columbine murderers played Doom, then it, that must be the one reason. Mm -hmm. Doom and Ramstein, I think, were the, the reasons they were right. blamed for, for what they did. And so a lot of companies actually had to adjust some really anticipated games like Activis Activision Soldier of Fortune and Interplay's game called uh, Kingpin were shown behind closed doors only. Ken Levine, who at this time was leading development on System Shock 2, recalls being asked to bring a demo of the game without any guns, oh. which presents its own kinds of challenges. <laughs> Perfect Dark, which isn't even that violent, was on the show floor, uh, had a really big marketing presence, but the game was way, way at the back of Nintendo's booth with hmm. DK64 out in front instead. You know, so it is an industry that is trying to adjust and contend with what it knows is a lot of eyes on it for all the for all the wrong reasons. And actually, Kingpin that I mentioned was I think one of the first big first person shooters to be released post Columbine. And I remember too in the in the lead up to it, it was being promoted as a as a really gritty, violent game that was that was part of its marketing campaign. And when the game was released on its install screen, it was a PC game. It the install screen kind of included an editorial by the creator of the game that you had to read. Uh, about games and violence and about how the game was made for older audiences my, in mind and how parents need to be aware of what their kids consume. Like it was this really kind of, you know, capsule in time. Hmm. And so I think that's one of the reasons you're not the E3 that you're seeing on the show floor is uh, is maybe less shootery than you may have anticipated. Right. Yeah. I mean, it also I think like if if you weren't sort of a young adult at the time and, and are one now, you may not have full context for like what a big event that specific school shooting was mm -hmm. in terms of its cultural impact, in terms of um, how much it really like penetrated popular imagination. Um, you know, it, it wasn't, I think we're like a little desensitized to them at a, at a certain point, but at that point it was like very fresh. There was a lot of conversation about it. So yeah, that, that makes sense. So as we mentioned, you know, Perfect Dark was on the show floor at the Nintendo booth. You did not choose to to engage with it. You played a different game by Rare, which we'll get to. But the other game they were really making a big push for was Star Wars Episode One Pod Racer, which I know you did check out. Yeah. So first I need to say, Star Wars is just so dorky. Like, it's just the, like, congratulations if you like it. I just, I hate that music trying to bully me into thinking, into thinking something epic is happening. I don't like it. But but um, I remember this game from my childhood as being like basically impossible, but I got first place in every level on my first try. I actually like this game. I thought it controlled really well. It felt really tight. Um, I like some of uh, how it calculates damage to the vehicle. Like you can mm -hmm. sustain damage just on the right or on the left, which actually affects how you fly. Um, and, you know, you track your you track your damage on both engines separately. Um, you've got some cool, you know, planetary levels you know like how much more do you want but i also you know i only got to play a couple um and so you know uh, some questions i would have asked the booth babe include how many tracks or tournaments are there how much customization can you do with each pod racer is damage persistent across races do you come with the game 
Um, and it does like it does move. It feels fast. It feels close to how you would want it to based on how pod racing looks in the movie. And I actually think that's something. I thought you were going to say it feels almost as pod racing actually feels implying that you've gone pod racing. No, as as fast as it looks in the, okay. in the movie, like they put mm-hmm. effort into how it is represented in the it film. Does, it does feel fast. It's not it's not quite F-Zero speed. Yeah, but it is. It does feel substantially faster than, you know, a lot of your racing games. Let me say this. It is a it is a way better game than episode one is a movie. Okay, that's, I believe that in my heart. That's your little capsule uh, E3 takeaway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's what you need to know. And so from there, then you went on and uh, you saw maybe your nemesis, the the <sighs> Nintendo's big boy of the year, the game that they're pushing, the game that was going to change the industry, DK64, complete with DK rap. So, okay. I have to think that the DK rap would have been off-puttingly out of touch even in 1999. Um and this made me feel crazy. So I actually looked up a bunch of top 40 hits from 1999 to look for anything with like pop rap in it. And so most of it was like Will Smith, like Jay-Z's Hard Knock Life, the thong song. So. Would you prefer that DK was singing the thong song? So definitely not. But this did affirm my sense that this was bad even in the moment. Um. I would have been so excited for this. Like, I love the Donkey Kong games. I would have, like, watched the Mario people have their fun time with Mario 64. And I would have come into this being like, it's my turn. It's my time. And instead, what I've got is just the most low effort bunch of nonsense I've ever seen. It just, like... From the opening cutscene, everything is a mess. Like the the cut the opening setup is like the Kremlings losing control of their pirate ship for no reason whatsoever and crashing onto DK Island. You've got like unclear motivations. Um, I like the big King K rule in his captain's chair, but literally everything else from the character designs down to the animations down to the bare bones story is just awful. Also, King K. Rule does not have a good voice. He does not have like a deep, menacing, crocodile, pirate king voice. He has like a kind of dweeby voice, which I don't like. Don't do that. And Okay. And just to, to give some context here, you played, again, half an hour of this game from the beginning. Yeah. So you didn't have access to any Kongs but DK. You actually, I think, just unlocked Diddy. Yeah. Very, very close to the end. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know why? Because everything takes forever in this game. There are... Five times as many text boxes and pop-ups that there needs to be. You like you start out in this little area around DK's home. Um, it's way smaller than the field around Link's house in Ocarina. Um, there's basically nothing to look at in there. And in fact, like one of the first things you have to go do is go see Cranky in his lab, his lab in this one. But like his lab for some reason disappears into the ground until you sort of approach it. So you just, instead of seeing in the environment, oh, I look over there and there's Cranky's lab, you see like a bouncing, floating, cartoony head of Cranky with an arrow pointing down until you walk up there and then his lab pops up. Like it just, what is the point of being in this 3D space if not that I can look over there and see 
what is actually over there, not this like abstracted representation of what will be there if I just go closer. Like it, it just everything is everything is just ugly and off in these little ways that none of them on their own sound like a huge deal, but they just add up to an absolutely horrible experience. Yeah, I I never played this game, but I did play, you know, Rare's other platformers, so Banjo Kazooie and Banjo Tooie. And, you know, I quite like them. And I, I think I like Banjo Kazooie the most because kind of what Rare was doing at this time, they were in very much like gameplay variety mode. Okay. Which I can't stand. Like when when there's a platform, I want to do some platforming. There's not like in this part, you barely doing any platforming as DK. Yeah. Because everything is like a little mini game. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Rare, Rare got into the habit of this. And I get, I th- again, I think it's like, oh, like the player's going to get bored. We have to give them variety. But they're giving you all these mini games. Like DK has a gun. Like all the Kongs have guns in this. Yeah. And and same in Banjo, in the Banjo games. I think in Banjo-Tooie, they're like per- first person shooter sequences. Like I don't want that in my yeah, platform. Yeah, that's not I don't, what this is. If you make a good platform game, I'm not going to get bored. Right. I'm right. just going to get bored because you made a crappy platformer game. And so then have to add these worse mini games yeah so that i think that you know i'm doing something different and i i think this might be the worst version of that i mean as you saw and i think you knew this we that the game is very much about collecting you know it's it's maybe the height of collectathons it's Mm -hmm. where they really went overboard and where you know you have to be different kongs only certain kongs can access certain things and you have to collect the same collectibles with all the different kongs oh and just for clarity when Dimitri says only certain Kongs can access certain things, he doesn't mean like because of their movement mechanics always. Sometimes things are just grayed out unless you happen to be the correct Kong to collect them with. Like it's not always, it's not, there. It, this isn't like a, this doesn't have like a Metroidvania thing <laughs> of like, oh, once I get the higher double jump, I'll be able to get that. And so then, okay, that's Diddy. Uh, it's just... Like, oh, that barrel is grayed out and it's red. So that means I have to be Diddy when I, to, in order to interact with it, even though I can reach it fine as Donkey. This is not good. This is very bad. Yeah, I think a lot of people came out of this really excited about Donkey Kong 64. Um, but for me, especially in retrospect, this was, you know, the beginning of the end for the 3D platformer for a while until mm. it had to kind of refine what made them fun. Yeah. I think a, a pretty damning thing is that I just don't feel like it feels good to be DK. Um, I don't like the moves that I was introduced to in this. He has like a jump and butt bounce. And that doesn't make sense because Donkey Kong has all his power in his upper body. That is not a sensical move for him to have. Even a smaller Kong could have that. But the whole thing about DK is that he's like the arms and chest, right? So why would you put that in the game? It just feels like something grafted on from another I mean, game. I mean, why would you give him... A pistol. Like sure, a bazooka. right. It's the same thing. But that, yeah, that's like not even accessories. That's like mm-hmm. his core moveset that you were asked to navigate through this world with. I just don't like it. Um, yeah, it's it's just, it's just ugly. <laughs> it looks like they haven't finished populating the levels yet. Like everything is so sparse. Mm-hmm. There's so little in it. I was happy when my 30 minutes was up and I got to not look at my friends trapped in this game so anymore. So I'm glad that some of those other Kongs have never shown up again in any game ever. Oh, I'm glad about that also. Like yeah. Kong? Yeah, no, thank you. It's just hideous. He's got no style. He's got no grace. This Kong's got a funny face. Great rapping. That's what rap is, right? Just like nursery rhyme. Ass. I mean, it's a DK rap. I, I think that's clearly tongue in cheek. They're not trying to make a... Sure. Like, we can, we can shit on this game for a lot of reasons, but the DK <laughs> rap is not one of them. I mean, I think like... 
yeah uh yeah fair enough i i guess like to sum up this game is just like squandered Hmm. Mm -hmm. okay squandered potential is yeah uh, is 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 the tagline here yeah i would say so that was your trip at the n64 you know nintendo booth and with n64 games Mm -hmm. you did play one pc game i did you got to demo here and it it involves two of your favorite men Yes. Two of your favorite Dave. <laughs> In different ways. <laughs> Not Halverson, but you've got David Bowie and David Cage. Yeah. You finally, you played the game that we got to talk about that I, that we mentioned on, on the Heavy Rain episode. Yeah. Here. Yeah. Omicron, the Nomad Soul. Which is also just a hell of a name. Um, also, I think one of these games that would be really hard to demo. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, especially in our way where you just played the beginning of it, like yeah. the first half hour. But, but what did you think? So... I actually, I actually didn't hate it. <laughs> do you want to set up the premise? I'll do my best. Um, so okay. Oh God. Um, as far as I can tell, you are um a guy who has amnesia and has been missing for a couple of days and is like a police detective. And you and your partner were investigating a case, and then something went wrong, and like. You get home and your girlfriend's like, where have you been? And so I think it's it's you figuring out what is going on in this like very high cyberpunk um, environment that's like 3D that honestly has a has a decent amount in, in common with with heavy rain in terms of some of the moving around, talking to people, investigating objects. You know, you don't have the like fancy spyglass and everything, but, you know, some of the some of the basics are here. This game ended up sort of charming me with just like some of the wild shit that it pulled like so it starts out with a laughably corny opening cutscene where like your character comes through this like void and is like oh you you're the only one who can save my world you have to take over my body using your computer and go back through this portal and save us all i won't be able to talk to you like it's so long and it's this big dramatization of you taking over this guy's body and then, like, which, like, if this all turns out to be about, like, the nature of fiction in a game environment, maybe okay, but I very much doubt that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's. No, was- <laughs> that's it. That's it. I think he just thought this will be sick. So there is one funny joke that I saw in this that I have to shout out. So when you first drop into, the guy's name is Kale, K-A-Y apostrophe L, you know that's some cyberpunk shit. Um, when you first drop out of the, the, um teleport like into his world you immediately get beaten up by like a half-life alien and just left for dead like there's nothing you can it just it just crushes you um and then this like huge uh dystopian police security robot comes along and is like you have been violently assaulted please return to your home to rest and rehydrate yourself the police department thanks you for your cooperation and leaves with your body (laughs) still lying there unconscious that is a funny joke that's a funny joke about like policing I, in this era. <laughs> like, I w- okay, so watching you play this game, I might go back and finish this game. I, I would. was intrigued. Th- well, first of all, the opening credits, which is just you know like shots of this futuristic landscape with an original David Bowie song playing in the background, is cooler than anything in Heavy Rain. Agreed. Agreed. I just, I, I mean, it's got the the David Bowie bump. Yeah. For sure, like that's what that's why it's cool. But I kind of I want to see the rest. I know he has other songs in this game. I know he's in this. Yeah. Game. Um, the idea that you're in this 
in these, you know, you can jump between bodies and you're trying to solve, uh, you know, you're trying to solve a mystery, a, like a serial killer mystery. Again, it just sounds like, oh, like, why wasn't Heavy Rain this? Why didn't you just do this game again? Yeah, just give us another shot. We did get a taste of some combat, which did not feel great. Yeah, that was less than ideal. But I did also get to get into bed with Kale's wife. So like, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was impressed by this game. I, I might actually go back and play it. Legit, if you want to like take a night and like have some beer and like play through a bunch of the rest of this game, I'm down for that. Um, so in conclusion, oh, also one time I tried to call a car to take me to an apartment and I tried to get in and just immediately got like crushingly run over. <laughs> In conclusion, I have no idea what this game is about, but the environments are kind of nice and the David Bowie vibes really do add something. And there's a mystery, like you're investigating a mystery in a cyberpunk world. What do you want? Your cop partner's name is Den. So maybe it's good. Who knows? Yeah, maybe David Cage needs to stop taking himself so seriously and go make pulp like this. I mean, who knows where it goes? Yeah. But right now I'm I'm all in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah I agree. I agree. Okay, so that was your trip down PC row. Even though there are a ton of great PC games shown at this E3, including Deus Ex and System Shock 2, both both of which I think you need to play. Yeah, yeah, those are both on the list. But for now, let's take a quick break so you can come back and talk about the new boy in town, the Dreamcast. So the other big story of E3 1999 was the emergence, or at least the whisperings, of new consoles. At this point, the Dreamcast was already out in Japan, but they finally announced a North American release date and price. So it was to come out on 9999, so September 9th, 99, for 199.99. Okay. 200 bucks? Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I don't think I realized that it was that cheap. That's really That's good. a really good price. <laughs> The Dreamcast is here. People have already gotten their hands on it because, you know, it's out in Japan and, and it's going to be released so soon in North America. But it was a, it was a chance to really get a, a glimpse of, of what it can do. But Sony also was showing PS2 tech demos at the C3, mm -hmm. a Gran Turismo tech demo, a facial animation tech demo, and then one that I know you saw a clip of, of uh, a famous rubber duck and water tech demo, where they're just showing off ripple effects of the water and... Again, just showing, you know, how much of a graphical powerhouse the PS2 could be, especially in relation to the PS1 that at this point is is seeming pretty old. Yeah. And then Nintendo also announced that their next system, Codename Dolphin, was in the works. And they revealed that it would use disc media instead of cartridges, which made people really, really excited. Right. I think because a lot of people assumed that that meant it was just going to use DVDs, but instead it used those, pri those mini proprietary right? mini discs. Great. <laughs> Perfect. 
But I think, you know, E3 on the show floor was your first encounter ever with the Dreamcast, right? Correct. Correct. And you, you played a, a few games, but the first thing I want to know, so you was, did you notice a Dreamcast difference? Was, were the games you were seeing, especially in relation to, you know, the N64 and the PS1 games, noticeably different? Did, did this feel like a step forward? So I have to say it did. And I think especially this is shaped by the fact that I really feel like there are diminishing differences between console generations at this point. Like, you know, PS4 versus PS5 stuff. Like, sure, I I can tell. It's not like I can't tell the difference, but you know, it this is a period where we're making big steps with like every every console release. So both of the games that I played on Dreamcast, one more than the other, to be honest, um, were like an era ahead, I would say, um, than a lot of the other stuff that I saw. Certainly, if I think about as much as it pains me to say this, if I think about either of these compared to, you know, Donkey Kong 64, um, yeah. <laughs> And I guess, so one game you played that would be the closest comparison to Donkey Kong 64 was Sonic Adventure. Yep. The premier Sega mascot, you know, this was going to be the system seller Dreamcast game. Yep. So you you played it. You played uh, the first level. What did you think of Sonic Adventure? Sonic in 3D. So it is a noticeable step up in graphics and textures. I think it still looks good. Applied to just the corniest shit you've ever (laughs) seen. That's Sonic. (laughs) Yeah, it, it really is. Sonic guitar sound. Um, well, so yeah, so yeah. What did you make of Sonic's new soundscape? This is where you get that sweet guitar. Oh, driven, is this where that really? Yeah, like the Jun Sunoe Crush Forty soundtrack. Okay, so so that's that's cool and and good. What I hated was the audio mix. There were fully points in this this game's limited amount of cutscenes. Like there was one where Tails was talking to me at the same time the vocals in the song in the background kicked in. And I swear to God, they were at the exact same like level. Like I couldn't hear what Tails was saying. I couldn't focus on it. It felt like it was all foreground noise. And that is not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the the like audio I- identity that Sonic finds in, in this one suits him like it and you get the overworld with humans sonic's first encounter with human people yeah well is robotnik human uh kind of clear right he's like cartoony yeah yeah yeah, stylized in his in his design at least whereas these are humans yeah for sure um which is wild so i i actually kind of like the the hub overworld thing like the first level that you get into is um you're on sort of well okay (laughs) This is a wild thing. So the tutorial for this is you fighting this boss who's like a monster that close to the end dissolves into water and then escapes into the sewer. And then it does this hard cut to Sonic having asked no questions about that, laying beside the pool with not a care in the world like a couple weeks later, which is very funny to me that this hero is just like, that was weird. (laughs) Goes back to chilling. But so it's sort of this hub world and the first one is beachfront um, and you sort of just walk off in one direction and it takes you to this like marina kind of level. I grudgingly thought it was quite cool. I was bad at it. There, So yes, but also Sonic, I don't think has ever worked. Sure. I don't think Sonic has ever worked in 2D, which I, I think we've had this conversation yeah. before. I think it's always been hard to... Control Sonic in a way that, you know, really lets you build up the speed that, you know, the game, I think, wants you to build up and mm-hmm. you have the sense of momentum and actually maintain that over the course of a level. 
I think that they they lucked out when that worked in 2D. It some parts in 3D yeah. work and some parts are still cool, but I don't think they've ever quite figured it out. This might be this and you know Sonic Adventure 2 might be the closest they ever got. Mm. At least I mean I stopped playing Sonic games. Sure. A while ago. And, you know, I, I definitely still think there are things to enjoy about this game. Well, and presumably the people who love these games have found a, a pleasure in them that, like, we just don't have access no, to. But... They, they just lie <laughs> to themselves, man. So a, a thing that I think this game does smartly is it's not just like an open, open. It's not a like Mario 64. Right, it's yeah. like a track that is yes. 3D. Like you're still on a clear pathway that is planned to lean into Sonic's particular movement. You've got your classic loop-de-loops. You've got your bouncer things. Yeah, and there's there's a segment that's kind of this iconic segment from this game where you're going across a dock and there's this huge killer whale that jumps out. That's still cool. So, 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 so. First of all, that is super cool because the waves of it are rocking. The the um, walkway is like floating on the water. Yeah. So as the as the waves come, it sort of tilts and, and rocks. I agree that that's cool. They scared, they scared me for a second oh, there. Oh, I know it. Yeah. Because at one point, the, the camera turns around. Sonic is running towards the screen. And it's so that it can show you this cool effect with the whale jumping after I you. I think you said like, oh, not this Crash Bandicoot. Yes. Thing. I was like, oh, no, please don't. Please don't. Do not do this. But fortunately, that segment, like you're basically just running straight ahead. Like it's, it's yeah, almost an auto run. They figured out how to do it. Right. Like So you get the effect. Right. And, and, but it still feels like you're in control and going it's fast. It's really short. It's probably three or four seconds. Like it's not long. Uh, you don't have to do any nuanced platforming in that segment. It really is just like, look at this cool spectacle for a second. And then you're back in it from your correct perspective. Good. Well done. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for, they have you there for a second. So any, anything else about Sonic Adventure? No, I mean, I, I couldn't get really into the flow of, of movement. But, you know, when I did get some good momentum going, I think it did like an okay going fast in 3D job where it worked. I think like I this game, I imagine being one of those ones where it's like where it works, it's pretty fun. Um, mm -hmm. it, that's very not consistent. And I mean, I think, yeah. And I think at the very least, you can see how this could sell some Dreamcasts. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then you played two other Dreamcast games. That, you know, might have been slightly lesser known than Sonic, but I think could really sell some Dreamcast. And these are both arcade ports. And, you know, Sega has always been known for its arcade style gameplay. Sega is an arcade manufacturer. You know, they, they're they known for making games that go into the arcades for arcade style games. Yep. And um, their consoles were, also, were always, you know, the place where you could play their arcade games at home. And the Dreamcast was really promoted as that. And so two kind of arcade ports that you played. The first was Crazy Taxi. Yep. Uh, do you want to? Yes. This is, to me, a perfect idea for a video game. Okay, explain what you this have to is, do in this, Crazy Taxi. This made me feel like this is exactly what all video games should be and nothing more <laughs> than this. They don't need to be anything more than this. Crazy Taxi is literally just a chaotic driving game where you are a cab driver. You have to... There, there are pedestrians around who will have like their hand up hailing cab. You have to get close enough to one of them for them to get in your car. They have a place you want to go. You follow arrows to get there as fast as possible and you have to get them and drop them off in this like little circle range of where they want to go. And so every time you successfully deliver one in the time limit, at least in the mode that I spend most of my time in, it extends the time that you have. And so you're trying to do them quickly and efficiently so that you can keep the clock running and make the most money you can. And it's just like... It's chaos. chaos. 
it's absolutely chaos. It's like there's so much stuff on the road. There's other cars. There's every kind of vehicle you could imagine. Buses, trains. There's one of them. One of the the uh, riders wanted me to take them to a Pizza Hut. Oh, it includes all your favorite, which was brands. a real Pizza Hut, like Pizza Hut, Fila, Levi's, Offspring. This soundtrack. <laughs> I wish there were there were more songs, but this is so we played the original Crazy Taxi, uh, which unfortunately. You know, if you play versions that have come out since on other consoles, they don't have the Offspring license anymore. And that just ruins the game. You need the Offspring soundtrack. Offspring is a very correct sound for this game. Yes. Like, it's just, it's like the most delinquent. It's like the how I wanted it's so how consistent. I wanted to feel in Grand Theft Auto when mm, I had taken mm-hmm. a car and was just like being a naughty boy. It's It's pure that. And also, along with Grand Theft Auto, included ramps that I opted not to use. <laughs> There's yeah exactly like the same like ramps on the back of huge trucks yeah that are clearly there as ramps being like look at me I'm a ramp please take me Michelle just drives around like I come I but also I so prefer that in this game <laughs> this is this is just the car chaos game this is the like that's yeah there's no it's you know we're not doing good fellas we're we're just we're a crazy taxi yeah we got to go fast and I think this game again still looks good the, these Dreamcast games have like. A shininess to the graphics where they all kind of look nice like like plastic toys yeah i kind of want to touch them yeah i think they still look great yeah i i yeah i fully also would happily go back and spend more time playing crazy taxi this is a fun game and then you played one more um arcade game this time a fighting game yep not soul caliber no but power stone yeah okay so this is a fighting game that i actually had never heard of before which is exciting um where you have your you're fighting in a 3D environment it's sort of like a little square room and these stones drop in occasionally and if you collect 3 of them you turn into basically like an ultima version of yourself and have like a huge power move against your opponent but in the meantime also there's like stuff to throw um there's there's levels there's items uh and there's standard fight there's like your punches and kicks and stuff like that yeah, it's normal like- it has like a smash brothers franticness yeah. but in a complete 3D environment where you're, right, so you're not fighting on a on a two D plane. You actually have you know the depth, yeah, and you can have up to four players, and yeah, but it has that same kind of chaotic nature. The same kind of you know you need some kind of skill, but also a lot of luck and mm-hmm. and mixed in with a lot of randomness. And it's just yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Yeah, we only played played a few rounds, but yeah, there's like a good amount of strategy also in in managing to collect your stones and everything. Um, and I don't know, it, it's like it's styled around like a 19th century world with magic in it. So you have all these weird characters. They're all from adventurers. Like, yeah, but from different parts mm-hmm. of the world. And I, uncommonly for me in a fighting game, found a character that I loved, which is Jack, who's an absolute top-notch freak. He's like this mummy, even though he's not from Egypt. Um, but when he's not like act- actively fighting, he walks around on all fours. Like a little creepy it's, gecko. It's scary. Yeah, it is. It is legit unnerving, and I love having that power over you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we played a bunch together, and the second you picked Jack, you got better at the game. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, we um, we vibed, and also yeah. you were genuinely unnerved. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was it was. I had never played these before. This was just good, pure chaotic fun. Like the way that you can you know interact with the environments. One level we had, you know, had street lamps and you could swing around the poles to yeah. attack to attack your opponent. Other levels have tables you could pick up or kick yeah. across the room. Yeah. Yeah. Just really fun 
party game fighting. Absolutely, I yes. Really, really like this game. Yeah. Um, unclear whether this will appeal to like fighting game purists, but I think thinking thinking of it as a party fighting game is like much, mm-hmm. much, much That's better. It. The purists have Soul Calibur, which you did not play. No. <laughs> I like party games, fighting games. Uh, they're they're fine. Yeah, I you know I didn't have much familiarity with the Dreamcast, so going back and watching your like E3 excursion was a good time for me to get acquainted i'd played crazy taxi before but in the arcade right and i played sonic adventure on the gamecube i never played power stone and i kind of want to check out some dreamcast games yeah maybe on a future it episode like a, it looks like it's a fun console they do look good you're yeah. at you're actually right about how these seem to the graphics are like a little more they hold up a little mm-hmm. better over time than mm-hmm. some of the crunchy early 3d stuff yeah i think even better than like a lot of ps2 i agree yeah, yeah I agree. just the shininess to them they just yeah. they look like fun toys a little bubbly before we wrap up, I just have one more E3 1999 story okay. from another game that you didn't look at because it was tucked away in the corner, The Sims. Oh, this it. We this is another one that I would kind of like to play or explore at some point. Yeah, and it, and you know this game now has a lot of weight behind it. It's kind of a you know kind of a titan in yeah, terms of yeah, yeah. sales. But at this point, it was not. EA had just recently bought Will Wright Studio Maxis and kind of inherited. The Sims, somewhat reluctantly. At first, EA didn't really see much in the game. They didn't really support it. Uh, reportedly, it was on the verge of being canceled all the time. And really, the team came to E3 thinking, you know, our game needs to generate some buzz or else we might just be dead in the water. Hmm. But lucky for them, it got some buzz when unexpectedly during one of the live demos in front of a massive press, two female Sims who were, att- who were attending a wedding in the game started to kiss. <laughs> And and that was really unexpected because the representation game... win we were waiting <laughs> for. <laughs> but nobody knew that this was going to be a possibility in the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, it got people talking and it actually brought a lot of attention to The Sims. And, you know, some people tell the story. And again, this might be a little bit hyperbolic, but that this gave The Sims the positive buzz it needed to actually, you know, motivate EA to put a little bit more support behind it. And then, you know, it eventually comes out and it completely blows up. Cool. But to make the story even better... Same-sex relationships weren't even supposed to be in the game. The issue, I guess, had been debated for months, and the team decided ultimately to not allow them because they were kind of worried that EA might react poorly, and they're already kind of on thin ice. So right. they thought they just kind of thought, you know, maybe we should not do that. The mainstreaming of uh, acceptable homosexuality also was in a very different place in 1999 than it is now. Yeah, that was like. But, this, well, yeah. this was still the open gay slurs like on TV era. Yes. Yeah. But what happened is that, you know, after that decision was made at the studio, they hired this new programmer, Patrick Barrett, uh, who joined the team and he was assigned to program some character interactions. And I'm so excited about where this is going. <laughs> they just gave him they wanted him to do some work and, and they gave him an old design doc to do it, which outlined all the different interactions he was supposed to program, including same-sex relationships. Because that was in that design doc, you know, all relationships were possible. Sure, 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 sure. So he just programmed it in, and then <laughs> it it was in. And then that version was just going around the office, and Will Wright saw it, and you know, mentioned offhand that he was really glad that was back in the game. And other people just kind of never brought it up. <laughs> and then that's the build that made it to E3. Oh, and my then God. Get some, some kind of positive buzz. And, you know, The Sims for a long time was, you know, one of the few kind of upheld as one of the few like queer positive games. That's so cool. 
and especially uh, that it just happened because there's like new guy. <laughs> yeah, and they <laughs> just gave him some old document. That is a really great story. I always like love stories where just weird serendipitous like mistakes come out in a in a like long term for the best kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so fun. So that's kind of the end of your E3 1999 journey. You saw a lot of the show floor. There's a lot of this, but I mean, you played a lot of games. You must miss a lot at E3. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to. That's kind of part of it. You know, the a lot of FOMO. Yeah. Any major takeaways or themes that stood out? Um, 20 to 30 minutes is so little time for some games and so much time <laughs> for others. I mean, I mean, this is it. You, like the one thing that, you know, arcade style games have going for them like a crazy taxi is within five minutes you know what that game is oh yeah yeah absolutely even power stone you know what that game is right immediately right yeah absolutely you don't know what a nomad soul is after 10 minutes i not i haven't a clue i still haven't a clue um i i do think that you know i tried to put myself a little bit in the mindset of like okay what if i was playing this with like a booth attendant, um, or God forbid, a developer, mm-hmm. like looking kind of passively over my shoulder or like trying to talk to me about the game while I'm trying to play it, or God forbid, more people standing behind mm-hmm. me able to see my screen. Like all of these factors would reduce my enjoyment of this process down to almost nothing, I would say. <laughs> um, so very little interest in attending an actual E3. At least as somebody who's responsible for going and playing games and then reporting back. Yeah. Although I think like if you were someone who could do like closed door things, I kind of feel like that's different because like also, you know, I'm I'm enough of a polite conversationalist that even if I think your game sucks shit, I can come up with a couple of questions to ask you to pass the the hour or whatever Um, like that. That doesn't seem that bad to me. Um, but it's the nightmare of having other people around watching. That's really what hmm. sours it. Um, so I don't know. I just I think it would be it would be hard to like relax in and think your thoughts. I want to have space to think my thoughts, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a lot of space at E3. I think like the overstimulation would be really intense. I have got to imagine that place smells horrible <laughs> inside. It has to. It has to. It's just so many people. And also every convention space, everything, every crowded space like that that's indoors I've ever been to has smelled horrible. So that one must also, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, but at the same time, it like is genuinely exciting to like, like the joy of discovery, the joy of like me not knowing that Jurassic Park Warpath is a thing until I see that booth, which is open, and go right up to it and play it. And even though it immediately is bad... I still had a fun time with that experience. You know what I mean? That like that being pulled, something speaking to you, going and trying it, whatever. Like, I don't know. It it like still is exciting to me. Um, I mean, E3 is now, they always kind of feel like I, I felt like Christmas did when I was a very selfish small child, which is like, I would be so excited for it and feel like, the, the giving and the goods and and the presents should just would go on forever mm-hmm. as if it would be like hours and hours of sitting in front of the tree with thing after thing coming um, and always feeling like it was over a little bit too soon. And there was, you know, stuff left that I kind of would have hoped would be there. But I don't know. There's like um, 
it's it's nice to be in the headspace of like my only job right now is to go and try these things. Mm-hmm. I don't have to like them. I don't have to immediately produce an opinion about that. Like I'm I'm going to explore what is here. It's a it's a good headspace to be in. Just taste a little sampler set. Taste a bunch of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's like a healthy a healthy way to approach the task. Yeah, and learn broadly about things that are going on outside areas. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't pick up and play start to finish any of these games. Except maybe Omicron, turns out. So that, but like So is that your game of the show? God. Um okay, I think based on what you played, obviously. Um that or Dino Crisis, but the thing is I would definitely give it to Omicron because Dino Crisis, I think, wouldn't need the boost for success. Like, Dino Crisis, I think, will be well-received by broad audiences, whereas I think there's something, like, weird and idiosyncratic about You just Omicron. gave a David Cage game your game of show. Yeah. That yeah. is on the record. Well, yeah. Because nope. you know what? Lots of people are going to be talking about how Pod Racer is good. Lots of people are going to be talking about how uh, Dino Crisis is good. Even some other things that I played that I thought were were totally cool. Um, but like, I would talk about how how intrigued I was by the constant strangeness of Omicron and how it is the thing that I was thinking about after I left wow. the show floor. Wow. Yeah. And then, anyway, David Cage just goes right downhill from there. <laughs> so, the high watermark of Cage's career. So do you have any final E3 1999 thoughts? I do. Um, so Um Jammer Lammy is something that I played. The thing that I want to say about this is, like, you already know whether you like this game or not. Because it has this, like, to me, somewhat polarizing aesthetic that you will either love or hate. Um, it has catchy, silly songs with a lot of challenge. And it's just very committed to being what it is. And I do respect that. I still don't know how I feel about the art style, but I did kind of like this game as a whole. And I was very surprised hmm. by that because it does not appeal to me like off the rack. Hmm. Anything else? Yeah, the 90s were so dark. There's so much about the 90s that when you eat, even the late 90s, when you look back at it, you're just like, everything was bad. People were bad. They had bad ideas. What made you feel bad, this? Wait, wait. Like... It just the sense of what is cool at this point in time is just grim. Um, you know, it there's like there's just like a gross corniness to to everything. Um, I don't know about this moment culturally, but we should play more Omicron. <laughs> Anything else? No, that's it. Thank you, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're using to listen. Um, there's more information about the show and about this episode at neverwasagamer.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to see you next time when we launch a new arc that we're calling We Hate Sports. Yeah. Yeah, we, we genuinely don't like sports and we don't want to play main sports games like NBAs, your MLBs, NFL. your NFLs, NHLs. But we want to play some dumb weirdo sports games that have some of that spirit, but are just a little different. And to start us off, we're going to be playing a game that actually appeared here at the show floor at E3 1999, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Yeah, I can't wait for this soundtrack. <laughs> I thought you hated the 90s. You just said you don't want any more 90s. Oh, skate culture is different, though. More skate culture is different, though. It's one of the only like somewhat wholesome things that happened that entire decade. <laughs> I'm sure that's not true. I'm sure there's lots of shittiness, but 
I don't know. It's like those are those are nostalgia vibes that I can separate from their political context. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we'll see you next time after Michelle has played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater because learning that you need to finish your tricks before landing is an essential part of becoming a game player.